bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. Welcome to Common Sense on Social Justice. I am your host, Michael Davis, and I am so glad you joined us today. If you want to join the conversation or have any questions or comments, you can email me at sjcommonsense at gmail.com. Now, in our last episode, we talked about putting power into the hands of the oppressed, and really, we shared the eight steps you need to take to move from injustice to seeing uh, justice realized or wholeness and healing realized. And I hope you learned a lot from that and it was helpful. In this episode, we're going, this is the part two, we're going to take those principles, go over them again, but we're going to go over it in a different angle from the standpoint of the neighborhood and how to achieve social justice within the neighborhood. Now, the reason why I am doing this, because it looks very different. If you do it individually, or even if it, you did it within your church, for example, carried out those steps, it's one thing. But then when you go into the neighborhood and bring business leaders, homeowners, neighborhood association people, those suffering from injustice, bring all these groups together, it's going to take on quite a different form. And so I want to equip you as part of this shows about equipping you with tools you need. I want to equip you with the tools you need to carry that out successfully, because believe me, once you start bringing more people into the equation, it can get really messy really fast, especially if you're unprepared. So let's go over the first step, observation. Let's observe or talk about once we observe what the problem is, how do you do that in a group setting? So Maybe you as an individual or a couple of you have observed a problem in the neighborhood or a problem in society. Maybe it's homelessness, sex trafficking, uh, seeing an increased number of sex workers physically present in your area uh, that you live in. You may observe that, but what do you do beyond just you or one other person to, to work in the observation level in the neighborhood at that level, you're, you're going to need to call a meeting of neighborhood citizens and discuss what they are observing about the problem as well. So instead of just your own observation, uh, as I said in the first episode or the first part of this discussion, that observation has to do with just seeing and letting the situation speak to you. But it's a little bit different when you start involving other people in the neighborhood. So what you're going to need to do is call a meeting of the neighborhood citizens and discuss what it is they're observing about the problem and then gather data around that. And by gathering data, I don't necessarily mean gathering numbers in the traditional thought on data. Rather, um, you need to uh, just get a collection of people's perspectives, look at what people are saying, and then kind of form uh, a plan or a thought for, uh, observation from that. And you might want to consider having the, the meeting and the discussion, letting people share their observations about what the problem is, not what the answer is just yet, just their observation of the problem. And then, uh, and then write it in a summary letter or some form that summarizes it and then pass it back out to the people in the neighborhood so they can see 
the collection of people's perspectives and maybe maybe put a, a, your own uh, summary on it of what you see as commonalities of people's observations uh, with that. And I think this is a good practice, but again, it definitely takes on a new perspective within the neighborhood. Now, once you've collected that data, got everybody's perspectives on the problem. Uh, and by the way, before I move on, I, I need to say this. You need to do this in an organized, structured way, because I my experience has told me that people like to spout their anger during sessions like this. And that's okay. It's okay to let people spout their anger, but at the same time, you got to keep people tracking so that they know that we're trying to get to a goal of getting to the truth of what's really happening. Okay, so we're going to do the observation, the data collecting of people's perspectives, and then the next step is asking the oppressed what they want. So you should form a town hall meeting or some similar uh, format and have the those suffering the injustice at the table sharing what they want, asking them what are their goals and what outcomes would they want. Now, I would encourage you to do this in a town hall way. And by doing this, you, you might want to bring as many people in the area the neighborhood and even the surrounding areas into the meeting so they can hear what those suffering injustice have to say. Now I would encourage you to make the panel of this town hall up of those who are suffering and those, who, some of the key leaders who've made the observations of the problem. I think that would be a good mixture uh, at the town hall, we're not trying to get to solutions just yet. So don't worry about, you know, having people on the panel that may be able to help come to some really good solutions. Just We're just trying to figure out what is it that those suffering want and maybe what some of the people in the neighborhood would like to see happen as well. That's all we're doing. In fact, if you could think of it this way, the town hall is sort of a bigger data collecting and then moving on to the third step, then the research, uh, research how the injustice occurred. If you remember this before, research how the injustice occurred. Um, this one can really happen in the neighborhood level because you can get more people's perspectives uh, of what they're seeing in the situation up close. You know, as you talk to the oppressed and the oppressor and trying to understand how the injustice began in the first place, you're not necessarily going to get a really good picture because both sides are trying to protect themselves. But in the neighborhood level, if you can get a whole lot of people's, not an overwhelming amount of people, but a good amount of people's perspectives on how the injustice occurred and maybe there's people up close to the situation that can give you unbiased information then uh then i think you're on track to really getting to some real solutions um one of the uh so let me give you some examples so let's say you're you're doing collection of data trying to understand how the injustice occurred maybe it's racism maybe it, it it's homelessness, maybe it's sex trafficking, whatever it is. You want to make sure that you're you're asking the right people uh, in understanding how the injustice began. Uh, so, for example, let's say 
you're trying to understand some sort of injustice that's happening at one of the businesses in the neighborhood. And maybe one of the businesses in the neighborhood is a mom and pop store. Maybe one of the businesses is part of a large conglomerate. Maybe, you know, Toyota has a factory in your neighborhood or whatever. And you're noticing an injustice. The people that you're not going to want to talk to about the injustice is people who have quit working there because they're angry. And with their anger, they're going to give you a skewed perspective. And you're not going to want to necessarily ask the front office people because they're trying to protect their job. So they're not going to give you the real truth because they don't want to get in trouble, get fired. So you're going to have to make sure you're asking people, the right people who uh, have the closest to being unbiased as you can get and their answers. Uh, In other words, they don't have an agenda to fulfill and no self-protection. So make sure that you do that in your collections there or in your research. Now, number four, the fourth point of moving towards justice is asking the oppressor their point of view. Asking the oppressor their point of view. So if the oppressor is a business owner in the neighborhood, for example, ask them their perspective of the situation. You might be surprised. I mean, I have heard people give me a perceived injustice before. And I rushed to a judgment only to talk to the perceived oppressor and found out they felt like they were the ones being oppressed, too. And then when I got more data and facts on the situation, I had egg on my face. So you you have to be careful. Move slowly and properly as you go through this. So asking the perceived oppressor their point of view... uh, I'm not going to name the organization, but there's a chain uh, of restaurants in this area that were paying low wages to their employees. So a group of priests, of Catholic priests in the region, uh, formed, helped form a coalition to help these workers become unionized uh, so that they could get higher wages and have more speaking power to the owners of the chain the business chain. And one of the things that was interesting to me is that the priests talked to the owners of the business chain and got their reasons why they were paying the wages they were paying. I like that. I really like that. Uh, Because, you know, they were involving, they weren't judging the, the business owners, they were involving them on the conversation to, to get this thing realized. Another thing, by the way, this is off point. But another thing that they did is they worked with each individual restaurant in the neighborhood and those local employees to work out this plan. So, again, I like that. They, they had more of a local focus on this. So let's rehearse for just a minute before we move on, because I know probably a lot of things going through your brain right now. But we're going to observe. We're going to, to get various people's uh perspectives in the neighborhood on what the problem is we're going to then ask the oppressed what they want uh, maybe in a town hall format we're going to do research on how the injustice began and we're going to get a few people's perspectives now on this and then we're going to ask the oppressor their point of view on the situation now let's move on number five the next step if you'll remember from our last episode is we're going to bring the oppressed and oppressor together. 
those causing the injustice and those feeling the injustice. Now this, by the way, the oppressor and those causing the injustice may not be in the neighborhood. So maybe it's the mayor or maybe it's the city leaders or maybe there's a, a large conglomerate causing it. It's going to be a little bit trickier getting them to the table, but you can try. And if they're honest or they want to save some political, earn some political points, they may show up. But you're going to bring them to the table. But here's the interesting thing. As I was studying and, you know, kind of preparing for this episode, I thought, what is the advantage in the neighborhood of of taking this approach of bringing the oppressed and the oppressor together? And for me, it was one of those aha moments. It's something I hadn't thought of before, but in what can happen is if there are neighbors and business owners and so on sitting at the table where you've got the oppressed and the oppressors together, that's actually going to create a higher level of accountability. Then let's say two or three of you are getting together as individuals trying to correct an injustice. If there are several leaders from the neighborhood there at this meeting to get the oppressed and oppressor talking to each other, it may, it it demands almost a higher level of accountability on the, those causing the injustice because they know there's a lot of eyes now watching them. I thought, wow, this is great. That is a natural accountability. So it's not a forced accountability where we're saying you have to agree to these terms. No, it's just a natural accountability of just a lot of people being physically present at the meeting. Uh, and two, if a lot of people are involved from the neighborhood, this can also create a lot more momentum uh, to change. So bring the oppressed and oppressor together. Number six, the next step, once we've done these steps, then defend the oppressed. Oppressed. I've seen neighborhood associations stand up to the city and demand justice for those who are suffering. So defend the oppressed. As a neighborhood, when you together speak out publicly, you're actually going to create a lot more momentum and be heard more easily. Number seven, help with a plan of healing. Help with a plan of healing. Have Having the neighborhood involved will allow more creative ideas to come to the surface for a better chance at resolution. Now, let's say it's just you and one or two other people working towards justice you're kind of limited on your ideas, but if you've got uh, several people from the neighborhood involved in these meetings and discussions on how to fix the problem, you're going to have a lot more creative ideas come to the surface for a better chance at resolution. Now, even though I'm considered a quote expert uh, on uh, issues around poverty, Still, when I've had meetings with neighborhoods and and had several people at these meetings, I've been just beautifully surprised, happily surprised to hear these amazing ideas that comes from people, people that never get heard. But when you bring them to a town hall meeting or whatever kind of meeting, a neighborhood meeting of some sort, the ideas that come out of people, how to fix the problem, it's just like, wow, that is where did that come from? Well, it came from uh, humans are brilliant if we just give them the chance to be that. And then finally, number eight, get out of the way. If you'll remember last time I said, get out of the way, 
go silent, disappear, whatever it looks like, get out of the way. Make sure, now this is going to be important. You got to hear this point because we can really mess this point up. You've got to make it clear from the beginning to all the people involved in the neighborhood that the end result is that the power is in the hands of the oppressed. And and throughout the process, keep repeating that point because people can forget it or if they don't know it, the neighbors can tend and business owners I've noticed can tend to just take control of the situation. So make sure if you're helping lead the cause that you make it very clear in the beginning and throughout the entire process that the end result is that the power is in the hands of those who are suffering to create solutions for their own problems. All right. I hope this was a help. I look forward to hearing from you. I want to hear what's going on in your neighborhood. I want to hear what solutions your neighborhood has come to, or maybe there's issues that your neighborhood is observing and maybe you're stuck and you don't know what to do. Feel free to email me. I'd be glad to answer your questions and to help you uh, come up with solutions. You can uh, email me and contact me at sjcommonsense at gmail.com. Again, that's sj common sense at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us today. And I hope you have a great day as you work to create a just society right where you are. You've been listening to common sense on social justice with your host, Michael Davis, a common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com.